Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to another edition of the San Pisa Podcast on the Ambiguous Network. Right now, I'm going to bring bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Some things to talk about today. I'll be breaking down news regarding a sequel to the Netflix film Extraction, some news regarding Tiger King and some casting. But before I get to any of that, the first thing I want to talk about leading off from May the 4th yesterday, which I hope everyone had a good Star Wars day, is some Star Wars news in a galaxy far, far away. And some news that broke yesterday from Twitter and from two of the personal accounts of two very well-known directors, specifically Peyton Reed and Robert Rodriguez, announced yesterday that they are two of new directors that will be directing episodes in Season 2 of The Mandalorian. And they join a directing pool in season two that consists of John Favreau, who is the one of the showrunners or the showrunner creator of The Mandalorian, Dave Filoni, who's also a showrunner on the on the, the show, and one of the directors from last season, Bryce Dallas Howard and Rick Fimiua are coming back as well. And they're joined by newcomer in the directing pool, at least Carl Weathers, who portrays a character in The Mandalorian. And this kind of goes off of what I was saying yesterday, talking about the docuseries that's on The Mandalorian right now, talking about the behind-the-scenes of what went into making that show. And the first episode kind of featured the directors and how they all had different voices but came together to tell this one story but added their own different flares of what makes them great directors in each of the episodes. And when you bring on the likes of Peyton Reed and Robert Rodriguez, Peyton Reed has had some experience like Taika Waititi did last season with working with Disney from coming from the MCU, which Peyton Reed has directed both Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp. So he has some familiarity with working with the Disney company and working on a big budget production feature film. So coming to this is exactly the same kind of thing which Taika was talking about where he kind of came in and was the the know-it-all. He knew how to kind of the, the the weight and the stakes that came with directing this big budgeted television show that feels like a movie in the sense and is basically a four-hour movie that is told with this beginning and this end. And when looking at this directing pool, you have people, again, that were from season one and some that are coming to season two. Even though John Favreau didn't direct an episode last year, A, he has his directing experience, and B, he was on set all the time, and he writes the show itself, so he has an idea of what to actually do. So even though he's a newcomer to directing the show, he's been involved, obviously, since the very beginning. The one other one that is new is Carl Weathers, who from what I know, hasn't done any directing, hasn't had any kind of directing credentials, directing experience, so this will be something new for him to do, and I'm excited to see that. And then, of course, the other big one is Robert Rodriguez, who has done the likes of Sin City, he's done the Spy Kids franchise, he's really kind of done a lot of smaller indie films that can are, are big in genres, but feel small scope in the sense of they they feel different in the styles that he brings which is really good and again goes to that point of trying something different and new in the episode that Robert Rodriguez will be doing and in the episode we'll know at least that in the Robert Rodriguez episode Baby Yoda will be involved since the selfie that he took involved Baby Yoda and what looked like to be the Mando's ship that he had in season one so this is exciting this is it's it's interesting to see that again the consistency that John Favreau is having, the directors he chooses, he knows the kind of directors he's eyeing for. He talked about that in the docu series yesterday. So 
knowing the information that I know from what he was talking about and finding the directors and coupling it with people that know this world already with Filoni, Favreau himself, Bryce Dallas Howard, and Rick Famuyiwa, combining those with three additional directors, I think is exactly the kind of balance that you need in crafting this kind of television show. The one thing that is omitted, but it makes obvious sense, is that Deborah Chow doesn't seem like she's going to be a part of this season. It's not official, the full director's list of who is going to be directing each of these episodes. Right now, there are seven directors that are in contention for the Mandalorian this season. Now, last season, each director had, other than Bryce Dallas Howard and Taika Waititi, each director had two episodes apiece. And if, say, this is another eight-episode season, then it seems like every single person will have at least one episode to work on. So for Deborah Chow, maybe she gets to work on one additional episode. Maybe she's that eighth spot, unless Favreau, Ferloni, or somebody else is taking double duty on one of these on both episodes. But not seeing Deborah Chow's name, if it really comes out from Lucasfilm that she's not a part of the season of directors, isn't surprising because she's working on her own Star Wars show with the Obi-Wan series, which she's directing every single one of those episodes, which is a bigger challenge to do. But if there's anyone that's up to it, it's definitely Deborah Chow. And seeing that my favorite episodes from The Mandalorian were the ones that she directed, she has an eye for this universe from the documentary again it seems like she has this kind of get down to business have fun on set but we got to do what we got to do and i can see why they selected to do every single episode of that obi-wan show even if it's just six episodes six hours of television is still a lot of television to conquer especially in the star wars universe but i'm excited if this really is the list that we get of peyton reed robert rodriguez john favreau Dave Filoni, Bryce Dallas Howard, Rick Famuyiwa, and Carl Weathers. If those are the seven and we get another one or if someone's taking double duty, again, this is consistency, makes new elements with experience in filmmaking, whether it is television or feature films. And in the case of Payne Reed and Robert Rodriguez, they are very well versed in blockbusters, but also indie films and working on things that are high in demand and are much anticipated. So this that's exactly what you need when working on a show like The Mandalorian. What do you think about Peyton Reed and Robert Rodriguez coming on to direct The Mandalorian? Let me know what you think down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts. Moving on now away from a galaxy far, far away after spending the beginning of this show and all of last episode talking about Star Wars in honor of Star Wars Day to move on to some other things that are going on in the world of Hollywood. And the first thing I want to talk about is some news that came out from Deadline yesterday exclusively talking about a sequel to Extraction, but also what came out over the weekend, which was the prediction of the massive ratings that Extraction seems to be getting in the next few weeks. Now, according to Netflix and Chris Hemsworth, who came out on Instagram himself and announced that Extraction will become the highest rated Netflix film in terms of viewership and household viewership with around 90 million households viewing the Extraction. Now, this is a film that was written by Joe Russo. It was produced by their production company, AGBO. And you, there's some accounts to take into this. And the first thing you have to take into account is the times that we live in right now with the coronavirus, even though these are unprecedented, horrific times, when especially when it comes to the entertainment industry, some things when it comes to consumer content streaming, they seem to be the ones that are having a big boom right now. With Netflix, it was just a, a really good aligning of something like this 
happening in which people are stuck. There's nothing to really go see. Theaters are shut down. And the thing that you get is this big action blockbuster-produced Netflix movie with an A-lister star in Chris Hemsworth. And you hear good reviews about it. So it makes sense that people will want to check this, this movie out. The one thing you also have to take into account is, and this is something that has been a pet peeve for a lot of industry analysts and insiders that cover Hollywood, and especially when they cover Netflix and when they release ratings from Nielsen, is the fact that the the rules when it comes to covering streaming services are a little bit more obscure than when you would cover normal television. And the thing you have to take into account with Netflix is, is how they consider a view. And this is real, where the, the, not shadiness, but really where the, the the uncertainty comes into effect when when judging Netflix, and that is that a view counts for every single person when they've watched two minutes of a movie or a television show. And in the case of a movie, watching a few minutes of it, basically you count as a view. So say if you're not enjoying the movie and you're 30 minutes in, your, your, your click counts as a view already. So that accounts for something even if you didn't watch it from the first minute to the very last minute. And so that's the one thing you have to take into account when looking at these numbers, which still, if it, if just looking on it face value, it, it's incredible. And it speaks to the times that we live in where people are just looking for anything to watch right now. And again, it has the ingredients to be something where you can just shut your mind off for a little bit and just enjoy it. I said that in my review last week talking about extraction where if I could give – I would give it a 6 out of 10, a B plus where it's it's something to turn your brain off. You can have fun with it. If you're an action junkie, this is perfect for you. It's got fist fights. It's got car chases. It has gun violence. It has everything you would want. But also a really good performance from Chris Hemsworth. So if you – Add all those ingredients in, you can come out with, with a quality movie, and you have a, a action entrepreneur, an action aficionado, and Sam Hargrave, who directed this and is a stunt double, and comes from that same schooling as Chad Stahelski and David Leach, who are really, when you look at action films nowadays, you look at those two as being the cornerstone of this new era of action films that we get, specifically with the John Wick franchise, Atomic Blonde, and... Looking at extraction, the numbers that it pulled in, it eclipsed Spencer Confidential, which during the quarterly earning talk from Netflix, it seemed like Spencer Confidential really blew it out of the water and was one of the highest rating movies that Netflix had conjured up. And that's the one that's directed by Peter Berg and starred Mark Wahlberg. Then you have Six Underground with Ryan Reynolds and Michael Bay with $83 million, Bird Box with $80 million, and Murder Mystery with Adam Sandler and Jennifer Aniston, and that accumulated 73 million views. So this movie was able to blow all that out of the water, and it 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 makes sense again with the times that we're in. And this is also a credit to the Russo brothers and their production company in the fact that AGBO is something that's brand new. They just started formulating over the last few years, and really, I think when you look at directors that want to do their own things, but they play by the Hollywood system, you see the benefits that come with it. And they did a tremendous job in the MCU. You go from The Winter Soldier, Civil War, to Infinity War and Endgame. And Endgame, you're the directors that directed a great film and the highest grossing film of all time. So you have some credibility to there where studios, companies are going to want to work with you left and right, whether it's in a producing capacity or if it's in a writing capacity. And even though this movie is good and suitable enough people see these ratings that the Roosters are bringing in a year after and what they have in store that people are going to want to work with the Rooster Brothers left and right, which is why it seems like 
they got the green light, or at least Joe Russo, who wrote the first screenplay, got the green light and a new deal to write a sequel or another installment in this film. Because if you've watched the the, the movie and you know what happens at the end, it leaves it op- open-ended a little bit where you can kind of theorize on what happens in the way. And you, they could go to oh, go a prequel route or they could go a sequel route. And it seems like they might go a sequel route if they do, in fact, bring back Chris Hemsworth. And they're still looking to eye to bring back Sam Hargrave, who they have a really good relationship with because he was a stunt double and became a unit director during his time in the MCU. So he has a good relationship with all these people that it's a really tight-knit group that they have going on that they probably want to translate it over to the next film when they have it. But there's no casting. There's no directing announcements. just the fact that Joe Russo, even he said it where – in the Deadline article that it's about the story and they want to get the story right and and the plot and the characters involved before they bring anybody back. So there are a few ways years away from doing that. And the Roosters are busy as well because they're producing and writing new films as well for their production company, but also they're directing their first film for their production company, AGBO, and that is Cherry with Tom Holland. And I think they're going to be the directors that seem to really just be that whatever they can create with any company, they're willing to do it. They're willing to go the streaming route, but at the same time, they love the theatrical distribution and release that they have, so they're willing to go back and do some theatrical films as well for the theaters, and it seems like Cherry is in mind for theatrical distribution, but because of everything that happened with the coronavirus, that might not be the case. But this is, again, one of the first few things that are part of AGBO that are making the Russo Brothers bigger names than they already were. And as directors, people are probably clamoring for them. And now that they have their production company, you come out with something like an extraction that is just a fun, mindless adventure that it seems like people were attracted to enough and were drawn to enough that they set records for Netflix. People are going to want to work with them as producers as well. So the Russo Brothers are on an incredible high right now when you look at everything that's happened to them in the last year or so and for the future. But this is big news for Extraction. This is big news for Sam Hargrave, who I think is going to become one of those next great action directors from what we've seen him do in this film, the the risks he's willing to take by for himself and for the actual film and delivering some incredible action sequences, I think was incredible. And so these are names to look out for in different statures. The Russo Brothers with writing and producing and also with Sam Hargrave, who is a turned stuntman to a director in the same vein as Stahelski and David Leach from the John Wick lore. What do you guys think about Extractions, massive ratings, and a potential next installment? Again, it could be a sequel, it could be a prequel, depending on the the route that they want to go in. And if you've seen the movie, you know how it ends. Let me know what you think down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts. Moving on now to some new release dates that were given from Universal yesterday. And it seems like NBC Universal, who is having quite a, a week and a half or so in in a span of a few days between everything going on with AMC and the theaters with Trolls World Tour and going to VOD and the theaters and, and, and the theatrical distribution, now seem like they're adding some more films in the next year or so. Specifically for 2022, they have announced five brand new release dates for Universal Untitled Event Films that will be coming out in 2022. And the first one is set for January 14th of 2022. The next one's February 11th of 2022, June 10th, July 22nd, and November 18th. And the first two things that really come to mind when thinking about 
these universal release dates is one is one of these movies the next fast movie because again fast nine was supposed to come out this year and fast 10 was supposed to come out next year to close out this fast saga that has started since 2001 and reinvented itself in 2011 with fast five but because of the coronavirus fast nine universal decided to delay its its biggest franchise which has the potential to make a billion dollars at the box office, moved it to April 2nd, 2021, which was the release date for Fast 10. And right now, Fast 10 does not have a release date as of right now, and it still doesn't. But one could theorize and speculate that maybe because Fast 9 plays really well in the summer, springtime, maybe the June 10th or July 22nd release date could be one for the Fast and Furious franchise. That's one to think about. Fast 9 was one that was going to play in May 22nd during Memorial Day weekend. Fast and Furious 6 did the exact same thing and made really, really good money at the box office. So those are two dates to look out for when it comes to maybe Fast 10 securing one of those. And then the other one is what's going to happen with this February 11th date on 2022, which is playing right alongside Thor, Love, and Thunder, the next film in the Thor franchise directed by Taika Waititi. And with Avengers Endgame in the rearview mirror, we have a lot of different superhero films in the MCU that are newcomers that kind of are the new Guardians of the Galaxy, the Ant-Mans, Doctor Strange, where we're being introduced to these new characters, new heroes that are going to be with us for the next how many phases and years, like Iron Man and Cap were since 2008, 2011 to 2019. But the one character that has been with us since 2011 and is one of the the biggest mainstay, the oldest mainstay in the franchise now, the granddaddy of them now, now that Tony Stark is no longer in the MCU right now, nor is Steve Rogers as Captain America, is Chris Hemsworth Thor. So you have a popular character and a popular IP and with the biggest studio in the world right now pairing up alongside it on a on an untitled film first of all we don't know if it'll be a mid-budget film will it be a big blockbuster right alongside thor love and thunder i don't think that's a smart move i wonder if say if it is a big movie who if universal will pay play chicken and move that release date because we've seen marvel studios go up against other film big blockbusters and put a stamp a release date for those films without knowing what the film is the title is the characters what's going on and a majority of the time, other films that would have stamped those release dates ended up moving. Of course, the very famous one between Batman versus Superman and Captain America Civil War, they were both supposed to come out May 6th, but then Warner Brothers decided to push up the release date of Batman versus Superman to late March of that same year. So you wonder if it is a big IP, if it is a big franchise, will Universal play chicken and decide to actually move it to another date? Because... Kevin Feige, Marvel Studios, once they have a release date locked down, they're not moving. They have it set. They have a finite schedule to move with, a a finite schedule timeline that they have to stick to, and they're not going to move Thor Love and Thunder unless they absolutely have to if it comes to pandemics or something that is out of their hands that they can control. So, again, when it comes to the January 14th, November 18th, probably be films that are probably going to be good November 18th to, to go up against uh, the holiday box office. We'll see what happens there. But the the two big things that come to mind is, 
One, where is Fast 10 going to fall? Is it going to be in that summer window of June 10th, July 22nd? And is that February 11th date for Universal? If it is a big IP, is it going to move away from Thor, Love, and Thunder? What do you guys think about those theories, those questions? Let me know what you think down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts below. Second to last item that I want to talk about today on the podcast and that is another Universal film that was set for a theatrical distribution is now being moved to On Demand. And that is the drama musical The High Note, which is starring Dakota Johnson from the 50s Shades Grey lore and Tracy Ellis Ross, who if you know from the TV show Blackish with Anthony Anderson, you know exactly who she is. And this is a film that is basically about a... A singer who has been is 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 a very popular in demand. She has been through the fame, and she wants to release a brand new album. And her assistant is pushing her to release new content. And against the her her team, who is saying that just to live in the spotlight and in, in the past. But Tracy Ellis's Ross's character wants to move to the future and create new content. So it seems like one of those nice summer early summer offerings that you bring especially when you look at the female demographic and the, the sisterhood bond between Dakota Johnson and Tracy Ellis Ross this is supposed to hit on May 8th but because of the coronavirus nothing is coming out in the month of May unless you're hitting a v VOD release like Scoob is and now the likes of the high note so this this makes sense in this in the stance that if the the back half of 2020 is becoming very crowded that the next thing you have to do is move to VOD and this is universal the high note is distributed by universal and this just keeps it going that universal is just going to see how this plays out and like the the king of staten island which is being directed by Judd Apatow starring Pete Davidson they're not they're completely different demographics from the first offering that universal gave with trolls world tour Again, the high note, like I said before, is going to be catered more towards a female demographic, while the King of Staten Island most likely will probably be geared towards the male demographic in an R-rated situation. If I had to guess, the high note's probably going to be PG-13, so you go after different demographics and see exactly how are how are these movies going to shake out, and will they make the same success as Trolls World Tour that Universal thinks, or will they do a little bit less so you're probably still going to lose money on both of these films, but what can happen? And some of these are lower budget than Trolls World Tour, so maybe they can make some kind of amount of money from the prices they set for these films that they can make something back within the coming weeks when these films come out. And again, the crave for new content, if the results for Netflix is somehow correct and if their new system works, then, then I think because of the crave that is there for content right now, people will watch these movies and can feel and, and just experience different levels of content that's out there right now on a cinematic scale quality. And again, Jeff Sales, Jeff Shale, excuse me, CEO of NBC Universal, is still going on this train right now. He's not stopping, even with everything that happened last week with AMC and the theaters and with NATO, that they're still going to plunge ahead right now. And it makes sense in this degree that, again, the backlog of 2020, you're not going to be able to maybe release it in 2022. You have other films to focus on. You might as well just put these films out for viewing pleasure and see what you make off of it. Even if you make a little bit of money, see what you do. These are extenuating circumstances, and I can understand from this side why Universal 
would want to do it. Again, the price is at $19.99 to rent for 48 hours. It's starring Dakota Johnson and Tracy Ellis Ross, and it is hitting on-demand digital on May 29th of this year. So, again, at that point, maybe things are lifting up a lot more than they are right now, or maybe there's, for some states it's still restricted by that certain time period that you're craving more content and you get it with the high note. What do you guys think about the news of Universal going with VOD once again with the high note? Let me know what you think down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts below. And the final thing I want to talk about today, guys, is some TV casting news that came out exclusively from Variety. And it has to do with the sensation that came out around a month and a half to maybe two months ago. That was Netflix's The Tiger King. And it was something that just especially during that time period when the pandemic was really starting to hit in the United States and people were sheltering in place, looking for something to watch. Tiger King became that consumer consumption during those first few weeks of quarantine. And now people know the names of Joe Exotic and Carol Baskin and Tiger King and and Animal Cruelty and the different things that, that, that Tiger King brought, which the first thing was it brought this insane story that was true and that People are in prison. People die. People were hurt by what happened with these larger-than-life personalities that are dangerous. But at the same time, you can't help but just watch it and be glued to these insane people that you would draw up on a sketch or you would draw up on on a script on a page and write actual fiction when this is actually nonfiction. And so because of the documentary studios what are they going to do they're going to want to capitalize on the success of this and it seems like one of the projects that is being put forward now is a television show focusing on joe exotic and they have a big name that is set to play the famed tiger king and that is nicholas cage will be coming on to play joe exotic and this is going to be a show from the showrunners of american vandalism so it's going to be something that's Goofy, but at the same time, serious and heartfelt and um, emotional. And what's interesting is that this is, it's going to be based off the documentary, but they're basing it off of an article that came out talking about Joe Exotic. So I don't think this is going to be something that is going to talk about the entire series that happened with the, the, the Tigers and the owners, but it's going to specifically focus on Joe Exotic and the journey that he went through to end up excuse me, where he is right now, which is in jail. So it's going to be the unraveling of this man who affected so many lives tragically and horrifically. And I think to have Nicolas Cage play this role, it's because of just the kookiness of it and that that this actually happened and that these people are actual people, it makes sense to have Nicolas Cage. Why not have this larger-than-life personality play this larger-than-life personality? And Nicolas Cage can go overboard on a lot of roles, but he plays the overboard really, really well with a lot of films. And tele- And this will be his first leading television show that he actually does, so that'll be exciting to see. And But at, at the same time, I think the fact that if you just focus on this character with Nicolas Cage, it could be something really interesting he Nicolas Cage is obviously somebody who in the 90s and the early 2000s was a big name in movie fandom and he won an Academy Award for Leaving Las Vegas and he's well known for National Treasure, for Con Air, for The Rock, for Raising Arizona. 
He's known for a lot of different versatile roles, but over the years, he's kind of gotten away from the... He's in the spotlight still, but he's hasn't done a lot of major motion pictures and not a lot of blockbusters per se, but he's sticked more towards the indie route, done a lot of VODs to streaming movies that have come out over the years. So he's still been acting, but not as big as he used to back in the day. But the dude, this is probably his biggest project in a long, long time. And I think he can, he'll can he be able to show the craziness and the kookiness of Joe Exotic, but at the same time, play him to a very vulnerable position that Nicolas Cage can go to. I know a lot of people make fun of him today, and there's all these memes and, and, and things on social media about Nicolas Cage, but he really is a good actor. And I think when you look back on a lot of the films that he did, in the day, he really can, I think, carry that, and he still has that in his in his his drawer, his acting capabilities that he can still do that. So I'm interested in seeing what Nicolas Cage does in this role. I think it's something to look to be interested in, and we're getting two different series of Tiger King, and one's focusing on Carol Baskin a little bit more. This one's more focusing on Joe Exotic, and. We might get some Carol Baskin in this, but if they just focus on the zoo with Joe Exotic while sprinkling in some Carol Baskin without making her a big focus, even though one can't be without the other, but if you can just focus on that stuff with Joe Exotic, I think you're in for some really interesting stuff, and I'm really intrigued to see what happens. I Am I fatigued by Tiger King stuff? Yes, I am, and, and I... I tend to stay away from people talking about that stuff because I checked it out. It, it was mind-blowing, and I was I was into it from beginning to end. But it was something I watched, and, and it wasn't something that I was just kind of just obsessed with. But I, I, I'm excited when they, they come up with casting announcements. And if they do something interesting with a television show like this, when you have Nicolas Cage, then you actually you have my interest well in hand on this. What do you guys think about this news for Nicholas Clay Nicholas Cage portraying Joe Exotic. Let me know what you think down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts. And the last two things I want to get to today, guys, that's it with movie news, is some anniversaries to get to. And the first one that I want to talk about, going back to Star Wars real quick, is yesterday is the unofficial official day of Star Wars where everyone celebrates the world that George Lucas created in the galaxy far, far away. But some fans have labeled the day after to be Revenge of the Fifth, and really in a celebration of the Sith and the Dark Side and the movie Revenge of the Sith that came out in 2005, and I wanted to talk about that movie real quick because I think when you look at what has happened with the Clone Wars as well and how Dave Filoni in these last four episodes really gives you an alternative look to what happened during Order 66 and the end of the Clone Wars to the rise of the Empire. It gives you a different perspective, and when you watch Revenge of the Sith again, you have a better understanding of these of this war and the clones and really what it meant. And so I think it gives you a lot of deeper meanings. And to me, this was it obviously was the best out of all the, the prequel films. And it's one that people always go back to and watch and enjoy. And when you see a lot of people's rankings in the top five, sometimes I've seen in people's top three that they put Revenge of the Sith in that upper echelon and I just think it's because with episode one and episode two with George Lucas you understood what he was trying to do but sometimes the execution wasn't really there with episode three even though you there are a lot of errors from the prequel trilogy that resonate within that film I think there are a lot more things to love about that movie nowadays than there were beforehand and I think one of them to check out really is a the 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 
the relationship between Anakin and Obi-Wan, especially when you watch Clone Wars, you see a different perspective on a lot of this stuff. And also the clones with Order 66 and after seeing the last few episodes of the Clone Wars, how it affected the clones and really how forgotten the war became really. And even though it is a famous war that is referenced in the original trilogy, it's something that the, the, the soldiers that fought in it are forgotten and replaced with these stormtroopers that you wonder what what could have been if really this war just ended and there was no Sidious and there was no plot for this. And it's just a tragic situation. And Revenge of the Sith adds to that Shakespearean tragedy of the Chosen One falling and falling to the dark side and betraying the ones that he loves. And I just think it's so poetic. And it's also just, it has great visuals. And even the story is somewhat emotional. And even with the characters that maybe you don't care about the first and second episode, but somehow you care about these characters more in this film and I think it credits to at least George got the characters right in the sense of even though you might find some things like ridiculous maybe Jar Jar Binks or the the dialogue in, in Attack of the Clones between Padme and Anakin the chemistry isn't there and it's a little forced in he still gets you to care about these characters in some way and I think you see that happen in Revenge of the Sith so it's just a little throwback that I wanted to give to Revenge of the Sith and especially after watching the Clone Wars over the last few days. Then the last thing I want to talk about, I forgot to mention it yesterday just because of, of Star Wars Day, but yesterday was the 8th anniversary of the opening of the first Avengers film directed by Josh Whedon, starring the cast of characters that we got introduced in and that we knew at the time, but we love even more now with Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth, Scarlett Johansson, Jeremy Renner, Tom Hiddleston, Kobe Smulders, and Samuel L. Jackson. And... I remember the the MCU always will have a special place in my heart, and it still does, but those that first phase, I know it's looked back on now with more critical awareness, especially for the greatness that we've gotten over the years with the MCU since then, but to me, that phase one always has a special place in my heart because I grew up with them as a child, and kind of like how people grew up with Star Wars, I grew up with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and... To I always heard about bringing together this this idea and these people together, and it was something that I was anticipating for well over a few years at that at that time period. And to see that movie in theaters, I never had as much fun as I did during that time period. And 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 I've gone to a lot more movies, and I've had a lot of fun in movies like Endgame, Infinity War, The Force Awakens. There have been movies that I've had fun in since Avengers, but at that time period, and even now since, it was just pure fun to just go and experience these these characters it felt like a comic book come to life like it felt like the the way that it was shot the the colors the 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 way that it's presented to you in the theater just felt like a like a big scale comic book movie come to life the the wit the humor the action the chemistry between these characters it just felt like an avengers comic book ripped from the pages and pasted and plastered onto the big screen and the battle of new york is 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 just it's just insane action but it it also focuses on the characters and different team-ups that you have with them and you see the struggle of them forming together and the chemistry between downey jr and evans and hemsworth and all of them it's just it's just amazing and i also think that the avengers houses one of the best movie soundtracks that i've heard in a while and it has sound gardens live to rise i love that song i listen to it all the time and and it gives me like a nostalgic feeling of my time when I was a kid going and I was in high school when that movie came out and going with my friends and experiencing that. 
the Avengers really brought a sense of childhood-like wonder to me. Even though I was a teenager at that point in time, it still brought this wonder-like to me that this actually happened. And people were root hollering, hooting, hollering in the theaters. And I didn't experience anything like that until the uh, even a year before with Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Two. There was some cheering, and it was packed. But the Avengers really started to bring a different theatrical experience to the big screen and it all started with the Avengers with Josh Whedon and with Downey and Chris Evans and even though to me Avengers Endgame is my favorite MCU movie of all time the Avengers the first one ranks up there for me as well just because of the the insane amount of fun that I have always had for that movie and it'll always have a special place in my heart for years and years to come as we get more MCU movies and MCU content in the years to come what about you guys? If you've seen Avengers, when you saw, if you saw it in theaters, even if you didn't, what is your favorite memory of watching the Avengers? If you saw it in theaters, what's your favorite memory watching in theaters or watching it for the first time, whether it was on Disney Plus or on DVD or on television? Let me know what you think or what your response is down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts below. And guys, that's going to do it for this edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to tune in onto the Ambiguous Network and be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on there, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis, also, check out goal-driven professionals geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also, check out the brand new show that is on the Ambiguous Network, The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson, giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. You can check them out on the website, ambiguousproduction.com. Also, check them out on Facebook and Twitter, at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Kennedy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, make sure to follow me on social media after you follow the Ambiguous Network on Facebook and Twitter. And then once you're done with that, when you have a chance, follow me on social media on Twitter. You can find me at Bissell Samuel. That's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L. And you can find me on Facebook as well, at Sam Bissell. Thank you guys again so much. And until next time, keep on screening.